0: Several years ago, Lisa and I um, went on the adventure of our life. We went on a three-week motorcycle trip to uh, Montana, and this was the plan. There was no plan. All we knew is that within the three-week period, this three-week window that we took, we wanted to get from Iowa to, it, it was called Big Fork, Montana. Is that where the cabin was we stayed, Lisa? Is that right? Anyway, Callis-Bell, Big Fork, and we were going to Montana. And the, we, as I said, the only rule that we had, the only plan that we had was we had no plan uh, other than we wanted to take all back roads from Iowa to Montana because we wanted to see as much of our country on that trip as we possibly could. Well, about three days in, we were on the western edge of South Dakota, just about ready to move into Montana. We stopped at a gas station to fill up, and just as we did, this other guy on a motorcycle pulls up and he says, Hey, you guys from Iowa? And I thought, Seriously? He looked at my, he, he had seen my license plate. And I said, yeah, we're from Iowa. And he says, I am too. He was actually from Dubuque. He, he was a coach that had moved up into that area and lived there now. And we were visiting a little bit. And he said, where are you guys heading? And we said, Big Fork or Callis Bell or wherever we were going. And he said, well, how are you getting there? And I said, well, that's just it. We really don't have a plan. We're just, we're just going and hoping we're heading in the right direction and we're going to get there. And, and I said, I think we're just going to take this highway right here. It happened to be Highway 212. And he looks at me and he says, are you sure? <laughs> and I said, well, I think so. Like I said, we really don't have a plan. We just want to get to, uh, to this uh, cabin that these people had graciously blessed us with. And And he said, well, let me give you a little piece of advice. You might want to reconsider that. And I said, why? And he said, well, this this highway, 212, goes right through the Indian Reservation. I said, so? And he goes, well, what you don't understand is that you can literally go hundreds and hundreds of miles in the Indian Reservation and not find a gas station. Now if you've ever ridden a motorcycle, you know that you can only go about 150 to 200 miles maybe if you're lucky on a motorcycle, which meant that if we continued on the road that I was planning to go on, we were going to be in big big trouble. I still I, I don't I wonder today whether that guy was actually an angel or not because that would have been bad. Being stuck in the middle of nowhere in an Indian reservation in Montana. We may not have been back yet. I don't know. Now, why do I share that story with you today? Well, For those of you who may be guests or visitors with us, I kind of alluded to this in my prayer. We've been on a journey here at um, Prairie Bible Church to uh, discover how to unlock the power of prayer these last few weeks. And I think that we're at a place in our journey where we need to pause and consider the road that is lying ahead of us. There are times when... um, Maybe not because we've made a bad decision, but maybe we've made a hasty decision, or we haven't really made a decision at all, and we found ourselves going down a road that led to a place that we never really intended. And I'm wondering if any of you might be at that place today. Now, how do you know? Well, that's kind of what we're going to talk about today. And the Scripture story that I want to share with you today will kind of help illuminate the thought. So if you have your Bibles, and I hope you do, uh, I want you to open them up to the Old Testament book of 2 Chronicles. Page read for you a a short passage of what we're going to be looking at today, but I want to give you a little history and context so that you'll understand what was really going on there. Uh, Here in the Old Testament book of 2 Chronicles, which is probably not a book that you all study on a regular basis, um, you will find here in 2 Chronicles, chapter 14 in particular, uh, a story of a guy named Asa. Now who is Asa? Asa was a king, but what you really need to know in order to understand who Asa is, you need to understand who his great grandfather was. Asa's great grandfather was a guy named King Solomon. Now my guess is y'all you know, you've probably heard that name before. You may not have heard King Asa before, but you've probably heard of King Solomon. Why is it important for you to know who King Solomon is? for you to understand who King Asa is, I'll tell you. King Solomon um, was a great man. Um, The Bible tells us he was the wisest human being that has ever lived, actually. But what the Bible also teaches us is that towards the end of his life, King Solomon became kind of jaded, I guess you could say. He kind of veered off the path. He was unhappy with life in general. He had become kind of disillusioned with with his religion, even if you read um, the book of Ecclesiastes you can that's kind of he wrote that towards the end of his life, and it gives you a flavor of what he was feeling well when you 're a leader um, and you veer off the path i mean this I speak to pastors in particular, but I speak to church leaders too when you 're a leader and you veer off the path um, oftentimes it's not just you that ends up going off the path. So leaders have an important responsibility. Because this is what happened. Um, King Solomon, because he veered off the path, took the nation of Israel with him. He, uh, and, and between the generations of King Solomon and Asa, they... Um, ended up in a place that really nobody ever intended to go. They, they didn't make a decision that they were going to veer off the path with him, but they did because they didn't have really great leadership, and their culture had become kind of, I want to say godless, but it wasn't godless. The fact of the matter is, their culture had become polytheistic, meaning they had started to worship almost everything. <laughs> they, they had made decisions to worship Uh, other foreign gods and, and whatever land they went into or whoever, whatever foreigners might come into their, into their culture, they adopted their religious practices to the point where they really had no religious identity at all. If, if, our adopting your religious identity will help us with a business arrangement, we'll do that. Or if I marry uh, this person who who comes from a different culture and has this religious identity, then we'll adopt that. So that when King Asa came along, they were were like rudderless. They They were going off in all different directions. They were lost. Here's what's interesting, though though Asa had kind of grown up in that rudderless society, there was something inside of him. I think it's the Holy Spirit. You see, the Holy Spirit doesn't give up on us. God doesn't give up on us. When we veer off the track, God is still there saying, wait a minute, that's the wrong road. That's going to take you someplace you don't want to go. And that's what was happening. But Asa, even as a little boy, he heard that Holy Spirit within him and he goes, I don't know what's going on, but wherever we are and wherever we are going is not where we were intended to go. So when he became king, it says that Asa um, cried out to the God of his fathers, I'm not even sure who you are, but I I sense that you were there. And the still small voice inside of me that says that there is more. And what I or we have been experiencing, God. What should I do? How do, we, how do we get back on the right path? And God was just waiting for that, right? And he says, Asa, this is what we're going to do. And he whispers in his ear. And they, Asa says, all right, I'll lead my people. And in 2 Chronicles chapter 14, verses 2 through 4, he makes this proclamation. He says, y'all, I want you to take down all the altars of those foreign gods that you have built in your homes right now. I want you to take them down. And I want you to cut down that, um, that Asherah pole. There's a whole history behind Asherah poles if you want to know. I'm not going to get into it because it's mixed company. If you want to know what it is, Google it. He says, I want you to tear down all those wooden idols. And I want you to do it now. And then I command you to worship no one but the God of our fathers. Now, I don't know that that made him popular for a whole bunch of reasons. There were probably some people who were, who were very uh, uh, devoted to whatever uh, foreign idols that that they had invited into their community, but he says we're not doing that anymore. I'm not doing that anymore. This is who we are going to be. It probably didn't make him popular because there were probably there were some folks who said this is going to cut this is going to affect my business, my income. It probably was going to cause some strife in the family because they had intermarried with different religions and, and one was this and one was that. And he says, no more of that. This is who we are. Now here's what's interesting. If you go back and you read the history between King Solomon and King Asa, there is not one decision that they made that got them from there to where they were. It was all just, oh, life happens. You know, I got busy. Made a little compromise over here. It's Not that big a deal. Or uh, maybe a bad choice over here. And all of a sudden, one day, they found themselves in a place where they had no idea who they were, where they were going. And they were asking questions like, I wonder why my prayers don't seem to make a difference. Why does my spiritual life feel so dry and lifeless? we got all these religions going on. What's the problem? Now, lest you start feeling somehow spiritually superior to these folks in ACES time, let me suggest to you that they aren't the only ones that have that happen. You see, I think what happened to them, veering off the road, I think it happens all the time, every day, to all of us, too. You're thinking, what do you mean, Craig? I'm telling you right now, I think you all have idols in your homes and in your hearts. Wait a minute, I don't have a Buddha set up at home that right in the foyer and rub his belly every day. I don't have an Asher, a pole out in the yard. Listen to me. Idols, as Megan's children's time kind of alluded to, idols come in all forms and fashions. And what is an idol? In essence, an idol is anything and everyone that is more important to you than Jesus. Did you hear that? An idol is anyone or anything that has a higher priority in your life, that is more valuable to you in your life than Jesus is. Now ask yourself again, do I have any idols? Idols can be a sports team. Idols can be um, politics. could be a career. It could be your family. Anything in your life that is more valuable to you than Jesus is, is an idol. And if you're wanting to know why your prayer life or your spiritual life is so dry and lifeless, maybe you ought to start right there. If you want to know why your your God doesn't seem to be moving in mighty and powerful ways in our world today, like He used to. Maybe we ought to start right there. Most of you know that um, I've spent the majority of my life as a pastor in the United Methodist Church, right? And I've always had kind of a—I always had kind of a um, a love-hate relationship with the Methodist Church. I loved it because even though I didn't get saved in the Methodist church, it was people from the Methodist church that stepped up alongside of me and discipled me and nurtured me in my faith. And I loved them for it. I loved them because that was the church where I felt my call to ministry. But I hate them, or I hate it. That's a strong word. Because even from the very beginning, I felt tension. It seemed to me that the denominationally, and I very seldom ever felt it in the local church level, but denominationally, I, 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 it always seemed like they were taking positions on something or other that just didn't seem quite right to me. Or they were um, taking theological stands that seemed to be in, in contradiction to the Word of God, at least in my, in my perspective. And I, I don't claim to have a corner on truth there, but it seemed wrong. But you know what i do? I would justify it by going, you know what? I don't care what happens in that silly denomination. The only thing that really matters to me is that, that I share the gospel with the people that God has given me the privilege to walk alongside. Just go and preach the gospel and, and love the people you got. Let them do whatever they want to do in the denomination. In other words, keep your head low, don't make waves, and you'll be fine. And for about 30 years, that's what I did. And you know what, for 30 years, I had the privilege of serving churches that were growing, and people were getting saved. They were filled with people who who were loving Jesus and making a difference in the world. All the while, we kept continuing down this path it was making me feel more and more tense. Till one day, and all I, I can do is speak for myself. I got to a point where I couldn't ignore what was going on anymore. And I had, It was like I had, I had an angel on one shoulder and a devil on the other. The angel on the one shoulder was saying, Craig, you need to, you need to stand up. Craig, have you went too far down this road? Because God's calling you back. And on the sh- other shoulder I had this little devil was going, Craig, you've just spent the last 30 years building a very successful career. Are you sure you want to mess with this? Everybody has idols. And idols can be almost anything. You see what I'm getting at? When you start to tear down your idols, that's scary stuff. But that's the only way to get back on the road that you were heading for in the first place. one of the keys to unlocking the power of prayer is identifying your idols. Everybody's got different ones. And by the way, don't let anybody else tell you what your idols are. It's between you and the Lord. If you're listening, He'll tell you. One of the keys to unlocking the power of prayer is being willing to do what King Asa did. You know, we'll cut down those Asherah poles and those wooden idols and say as for me and my house we will serve the Lord wherever that takes us so this morning as we um, celebrate communion guess what God's asking you to do he's asking you to bring your idols forward when you come to receive communion and just leave them here You're thinking, I don't even know what mine are, which is probably true. So, I'm going to suggest something you do, you do something dangerous. Before you come up for communion today, say, God, Lord Jesus, what are my idols? But be careful, because if you're courageous enough to ask God that, he'll tell you. And then you're going to be faced with whether or not you have the courage to do it. So be careful. But this is one of those keys that could change everything.